in our indoor facility, we have a turf area and, you know, it's like every 10 bound or every 10 yards, you're going to increase that intensity a little bit. Uh, so maybe we'll do that for, you know, 30 or 40 yards and they'll, they'll progressively increase the intensity. Uh, and then, you know, maybe the next week we're going 50, 60, 70, 80, and then maybe we'll go 60, 70, 80, 90. But then, you know, we'll get to the point where we're doing it maximally for like the, the last 10 to 20 yards. And I'm just con- constantly kind of just going through an ebb and flow yeah. of it. Honestly, it's once, once again, based on how they're, how they're feeling, what we have going on that particular week. But it, it's a nice way to just get some high intensity work and then uh, also be able to focus on the technical component early on. That was Rob Assis, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, uh, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle, and not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So I've been utilizing the airbands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling while I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual result of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. They've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into airbands. Simplyfaster.com also has B Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro. And this is a new option for velocity-based training, barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the show. Thanks for being here. I really enjoy track and field related conversations for this podcast series because it's not really specific to just track and field. No matter where you are on the sports performance umbrella, the blend of power and technique that's always measured by the clock or the tape, how fast did you run, how far did you throw, how high did you jump, it has a lot of value regardless of where you are um, on that spectrum of coaching, be it strength and conditioning, sports performance, actually coaching track or a sport. There's a lot to learn by studying the process of track and field coaching. Our guest today is Coach Rob Assis. Rob has 19 years of track and field coaching experience, and he's also the owner of the private training business, Reevolution Athletics. If you've seen some of Rob's work, you'll realize that his work is this blend of natural learning and natural movement, such as what you might see in basketball or volleyball or football, and then blending that into a little bit more of the singular output orientation of track and field events. On the show today, Rob will be talking about his tweaks or adjustments to common plyometrics such as bounding and skipping, and how he's applied a crescendo-style approach to those movements. He'll be talking as well about his recent sprint and jump complexes, his use of asymmetrical plyometrics to improve jump takeoffs and to improve technique, and Rob will also talk with where he's gone with the minimal effective dose style of training. Finally, Rob will speak on his thoughts on tempo-style sprinting which is the ever-debated, uh, longer-repeated sprint training technique 
in the role of track and field jump training. It's always fun to sit down and chat with Rob, and I really enjoy seeing where his mind goes in the process of track and field, jump, speed, and power training. Let's get on to episode 309 with Coach Rob Assis. Rob, welcome back to the show, man. You know, last time we talked, I know we did a little kind of mini podcast in the middle of COVID with the isometrics, you know, what you were doing for your own uh, workouts at that point. We had a chat on variability. You know, I'm curious. I think that COVID time, a lot of people did some different workouts, did some maybe different things they wouldn't have normally. You know, I'm interested in in coming back to normalcy. Did what you learned in that time impact your training at all? Or maybe just in general, how was this past season for you in terms of, you know, training, what you did, what you might have done a little bit differently? Some of the results you got, just an overview of this past track season and how it went. Yeah, so uh, our track season was definitely just ended this past weekend. It was an interesting one. We had an all-time high in terms of numbers. So we had about 160, I think, at one point, which is probably about 60 more than we're uh, used to dealing with. So from a management perspective, that was uh, certainly a challenge, especially early on. So just making sure things were structured that way. And, you know, a lot of it too, but one of the, the big challenges was like we had so many new athletes. So, you know, it wasn't like we could just say, okay, go, go do this drill, right? There was uh, an insane amount of teaching on the front end. So it was really exhausting, but it also just hugely beneficial from, you know, like there's, there's certainly things like if we do have that amount next year. I think we'll be able to handle it better. And on top of it, we'll have athletes who have been through it. So it'll be a little bit easier where we can give some leadership to our uh, returners. And then I, COVID certainly taught me a, a ton. I think one of the big challenges we had was dealing with uh, athletes who hadn't really done much physical activity, you know, uh, while we were away from them. So figuring out ways to kind of gradually introduce intensity was interesting. And I think that we'll get into uh, the idea of like the crescendo style uh, plyo. So we can go into that now. But that was a, a, a nice way for us to gradually introduce intensity. You know, normally, like if we were doing bounding per se uh, in a season, I don't, it's something that I, I tend to not rush. So maybe we'll start with a week where we're just really focused on ground contacts. And maybe, you know, I'll say like, okay, this is going to be at 50%, you know, within a rep and then 60% within a rep. And we'll progressively move on. The crescendo style where they're increasing the intensity within the rep uh, was a really nice way for them to focus in on a technical aspect at the start of the rep and then get into kind of more of an intense version of it as, as they progress through. So that was one of the, the big takeaways for me was uh, just, I thought it was just a great idea from that return to, we'll call it like a return to intense activity. Uh, but it's also something now, you know, a season later that we're we're still using. So that was that was certainly helpful. Yeah. So so let's get into that. Yeah, the crescendo stuff because I just I read that article you recently posted on it, and it brought back a few memories for me. One was uh, just because well, and one too. Like, people usually don't talk about it from a philosophical perspective. A lot of times, it's it's really it's almost all or nothing. It's we so often frame our teaching of skills and. I would say too, like this kind of wave of all my podcasts, it's like motor learning, teaching. I just think it's, it's to me, it's everything because like if you have good technique, it, it kind of comes with dopamine reward and power. Like you're learning, it's exciting, like this is stimulating. I think people really underestimate the power of that. So anyways, long story short is, you know, as you're talking about these crescendo or these buildups, which I, I will say, I'm trying not to get too scattered, but 
the sprint buildup. Who doesn't know the sprint buildup, right? Like you start slow and you build up. Like this is one of the most basic things, especially everybody knows it in track and field, but even in sports performance, I, I think you you would almost on some level be living under a rock if you've never heard of a sprint buildup where you're gradually building up to top speed in a rhythmic fashion. But why is it that we just stop there? Why is that the only thing that we do for building up? And even within the sprint buildup too, I think that you can do a sprint without a sense of rhythm. Like it's very easy to see athletes who they, they have no idea, like they have no idea how to build their, their rhythmic uh, ability up. And it's been said on this podcast before that, I mean, it's so easy to just prescribe everything on the level of, of mechanistic. The body is a machine and be in this position and da, da, da. And there's nothing, the, the quality is completely skipped over and the rhythm is skipped over and that, that natural learning style. And it was Alex Fuzz Khan, who is a, like a British track coach, high jump coach. And I had two of his DVDs, lent him out, got lost. The, the coach I lent him to, I think, lost him. And you can't order him again, which sucks. But like he was the only other coach who had actually like had that kind of work. I saw that would be like straight leg bounding, like little small straight leg bounds. And each one gets bigger, bigger, bigger and stuff like that. Anyways, sorry. Don't want to steal your thunder at all. But but when I when I saw you writing that, I was like, this is so good. So can you expand a little bit on some of the different modalities that you would have this crescendo application to in teaching at and, and grading the intensity of effort? Yeah. So it, it started, I think, with I got a contact grid, uh, but prior to even having a contact grid, uh, Carl Valley wrote a lot about the Scandinavian re- rebound jump test, which uh, I believe he got from Hock and Anderson. And that one is just uh, you; it's an RSI test. So you're if you have a contact grid or a jump mat that can do uh, RSI, you start off. It's about ten-ish jumps, and you start off at a low intensity, and you progressively crescendo your way up. And so you're looking to minimize ground contact time, but maybe like your last three jumps, you're trying to maximize your height to get a higher RSI and started doing that with athletes. Uh, they loved it. One, I thought it was great because it's uh, Carl would say too, it's, it's a skill and a test. So, you, you know, it's teaching them how to bounce, which is fantastic because I think that's something that, you know, as jumpers, we obviously yes. need, but it's something that I've also I feel like it, that that skill isn't necessarily there for a lot of athletes. So it's awesome uh, just for them to get practice there. And then you also get data back, which is, which is always nice to see. So uh, our athletes really like that. And then, like you said, like between that and then um, the idea of the sprint buildup, it's like, how am I not making, you know, like I'm a little slow. So like, how could I not make this connection to other types of activity? Right. So we started doing it with, with bounds primarily, and even that, I guess that even fed into like the idea of the, I think we talked about like the max velocity bleed versus the blast where, you know, the blast is your, it's just like a race, you know, and maybe you're doing that for a 30 meter into a fly, a fly time. And then the max velocity bleed where maybe your, your approach is a little bit longer, but you're not really putting the accelerator all the way on, on, on the ground from the get go. So you kind of just build into it to try to get a better fly 10 or 20 time, right? So I think it, it kind of, we, we just brought that into almost all of our, our regular uh, plyos, uh, whether it would be bounding as mentioned, or even like run, run, jumps, gallops, skips, hopping, whatever. I mean, it, it just seemed to cover quite a bit of a, a, a range of intensity, which was nice and, and really just give athletes a little bit more body awareness. And as mentioned, the, you can give them something to focus on technically and it would carry over. So like, as you mentioned with, 
you know, the maximal sprint. Like if I ask early on in the season, we'll do a, a six bound test. And when we ask athletes to do that, you, I mean, limbs are all over the place, right? A lot of them, it's the first time they've ever bound, bounded, but we just want to see how they can handle it. But then if I take them over and say, Hey, I just want you to gradually increase this intensity, you know, start off easy and then and build up, they look a lot better. So it, it's a, a really powerful, I think, teaching tool too. Yeah, I, I completely agree with athletes looking better. And it's the one of the things I really love about that crescendo idea, and especially with not only the sprinting, but also the plyometrics, because I think within the plyometrics, there's more built in rhythm, like you feel the rhythm in a, or not necessarily. I mean, if you look at like Jamaican sprinters, there is there is rhythm in like every step. You just see it in the way their arms or shoulders, the way they move. I think that that rhythm, it may not come as easily to others, but within a bound, it's a little slower. It's a little more 3D it's very easy to feel rhythm in a bound or a skip and there's other ways to teach that. But one of the things that I find helps people look better, it's like we almost have this mentality backwards is we tend to start, this is another reason I'm just so drawn to this idea and just finding different ways to plug it in is that our mentality in my opinion is more like find this, like uh, like a Darian Bar talks about the little wheel and the big wheel. You know, you have a littler, smaller wheel, and then you make it the wheel bigger as you get up to like a higher velocity. But it's almost like we try to make everything we do the big wheel. Like everything is high knees. Everything is get, you know, get long, get big, get far out. Like you see people trying to push really hard and long out of the blocks in practice. And then of course, in competition, they have to start a little smaller because they do what actually is going to help them run fast. But it's like, it's like we have this tendency just to make everything too big, including as I just had the podcast with Rolf Oman, like ground contact times in hurdle hops or depth jumps. Like we prioritize the magnitude over the core, which the core is, in my opinion, the smaller, quicker stuff. And then the occasional like bigger magnitude. It's almost like the it's mm-hmm. almost like the song or the techno beat. It's it's kind of like these small little things with an occasional like bass hit it's not like bass bass. Mm -hmm. i mean sometimes it is but those songs if you listen to those songs too much i think it drives you nuts you know (laughs) Um, so all i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. is and i figured this out uh you know it was in my early 30s i was starting to do um workouts where and this wasn't there was no crescendo element to this this was just you kind of straight up but i got this idea well what if instead of just trying to do bounds like it's 20 meters and every workout it's like all right how few bounds can i cover this distance at eventually and i figured it's out you you start to almost get too dominant to those longer times it shortens your transition to the ball of the foot and so i got into this thing where i'd like all right if i'm going to do six rounds of bounds well the first five were like these mini bounds where it's like quick contact quick contact and then the last one i'll let it rip or same thing with depth jumps like the first four rounds i'm going to do just as minimal ground contact like low box to box type thing and then the last one i'll let it rip and i found that prepared me so much better i felt so much better when I got to that final, like more high magnitude effort, if, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And so, but I, I just love that rhythm is such a lost art. And so I really, I just really love that progression. And, and I totally believe you when you said people look better. And I think, again, that's something I don't think a lot of people necessarily have an eye on because they're usually just watching numbers. They're like, all right, well, how, mm-hmm. how far did you go in these bounds? You know, how many, <laughs> they look at it only mm-hmm. that way. So I, I love that uh, that also opens up the observational element of how this look, how is this looking? How is this feeling? How is this transition to feeling to a higher, to a greater magnitude? And another thing I'll, I'll say uh, with that, re- the rebound jump test, uh, something that I've done is, you know, if an athlete isn't getting an RSI that they want, one thing I did, uh, it's kind of like the speed gate golf idea where I'm just, I'll say like, 
let's just say their RSI is to make it easy 3.0. Mm-hmm. I'll say get a a handful of them at 220. Like, like just try to get to 220. You know, and we'll do that a couple sets. And then not all the time, but sometimes they come back and then they PR in, in their RSI. So I have no idea why that works, uh, but you know, it just I, again, it, it kind of gives that that awareness of you know what what am I doing, and then you know maybe it just allows them to lock in a little bit better uh, to to how they're feeling, and then they come back, they come off of that with a different focus of just going maximal, and then they come back, and then they they hit a PR. So yeah, so sorry, explain that again. I just I, so let's say so you said if their best was three on the RSI. So you would have them do go down yeah. to two point two and try to do a golf at like two point two, try to hit yeah, this exactly. So like, and they yeah. come back. So like the, the speed gate golf, right? It's like it's would be you know, maybe your PR and a fly time is one point oh. So we're gonna do a series at one point one or something yeah. like that, right? Where they're they're trying to hit that. So it's kind of the same idea where we're gonna do something a little bit submaximal so at like two point two and then come back and then go maximal with it and see what happens. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is it's almost like that relationship with the conscious and subconscious mind. And it's almost like this is at least the thoughts I've been having lately is everything that happens in the subconscious mind is relatively free of excess compensations. Once you bring the conscious mind in that tries to PR, you're going to like you tend to, this is my opinion, use kind of like second order compensations that are unneeded to try to get that maybe i mean from a very simple perspective maybe you just tense your job too much you know like something like that but mm-hmm. you could also be like trying to leverage extra extension through your spinal erectors rather than using like a more central strategy if that makes sense and it's almost like sometimes when we strive too much this is at least my theory i'm kind of putting together is if you have the meter of like total relaxation like i'm just playing pickup basketball you know i'm just doing whatever the game requires versus okay now it's like triple jump full on triple jump training right and like I'm really striving to get that extra distance to stretch out, which I don't even like that term, but stretch out this phase, you know, or whatever. To me, I feel like that can bring on more unwanted compensations. And the more of those you have, I think the nervous system doesn't like it. And it's like, no, we're going to go back here because you're compensating and trying too hard. So we're going to bring you back to this level, if that makes sense. And so I, I kind of think of the speak at golf sometimes or, or the, yeah, for people who haven't heard that mentality, but if you're listening, you haven't heard that, check out Sam Portland's episode we did a long time ago and basically the idea of instead of trying for max, you're just trying to hit a submaximal on the dot. So I'm going to just jump and I'm, if I can jump 30 inches, I'm going to try to hit 25 on the dot. But I do like, I like RSI because RSI is more fun. <laughs> the vertical would be too boring. I mean, you can, you, you certainly can, like you can start and try to go up a little by, by minutia, but I, I like that a lot. I just think gamifying things just makes it more it takes away the striving brain, I think. And sometimes that kind of resets the system a little bit. Yeah. I think you see that with uh, jumps, well, probably sprints and jumps all the time where, I mean, I, I can definitely say I saw it this past weekend at our state meet where athletes get down to their last jump and they have to, they know they have to perform better. So then they strive. And I mean, you see like the, the head getting oh, thrown yeah. back, <laughs> um, posture just completely a wreck. And I mean, very rare. Like when that happens, I, I don't think they ever perform better. No. Right? So it's it's almost like a, a teaching point. Like, yeah, you're going to have that extra adrenaline, but can you handle it to still execute in a high degree of tech, technicality? Yeah, yeah. That there's definitely an art to harnessing that in a way that, like, I remember even last year working with um, high jumpers and hurdlers a little bit, especially high jump. I, I was at 
I want to do more of this, but I went to an Alexander practitioner, which is like kind of a mind body, like it's more the softer side of things. We had uh, Edward Yu, I think he was Feldenkrais more, but we, we've had people like Edith Hoyce, she's an Alexander person, just like that, just soft movement side. And you start to look at like, just like looking at people's faces when they're doing high jump, it tells you a lot, <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. just their attitudes. I think a lot of their attitudes towards how, like the, how hard they push themselves, you know, like how if they don't make the bar, like, how do you, you know, how do you respond? How do you treat yourself from an emotional perspective? And obviously we want to do well, but like, there's this like, you know, do we beat on ourselves? And then there's this like this, you know, like versus just being a little more relaxed with the process and and taking more of a holistic look at it. It's just really interesting to look at people's faces. In how, like, I, I was probably the first year that I actually put the premium on that in some ways, at least in what I was observing versus observing some other elements of things. And I just found that really interesting. I do. I, I've know a few coaches who are also like Alexander Technique practitioners. So I'm interested to learn more about that as I progress on. But definitely there's to learn more about that art of how do you get people more into the correct mental state and sort of like, here's here's a striving mental state. Maybe you could like have a contrast. Like, I want you to try as hard as you can, like beyond mm-hmm. beyond what's good for you. Okay, now, now you mm-hmm. know what that is. <laughs> okay, now let's like kind of, you know, Charlie Francis, right? Like try nine tenths on this sprint and try 10 tenths and like people don't i think mm-hmm. like you just said with the crescendo doing those gradations of the skill helps you to know when that was too hard and that was mm-hmm. that was not going to get you your best result and just and actually practicing that rather than leaving it for competition too right yeah and we we always talk about variability that's a, a great way to just change a rep okay now you're going to really just try to almost like muscle this one right and let's see what happens okay now just try to be a little bit more relaxed with this rep and and see what happens you know are are you able to to maintain that that aggression from rep to rep where's the goldilocks zone for you right quickly i wanted to let you know about the chance to try out performance herbalism for only a few dollars shipping costs and get one of Lost Empire Herbs' flagship products, Pine Pollen, for free. Switching to an herbal emphasis in my supplementation has been a life-changing switch for me. Just as nature is by design balanced and sustainable, I believe that the more natural our diet and our supplementation is, the better. I love and use several Lost Empire Herbs products that boost not only my energy, but also my strength. These include Chiliagit Resin and the Phoenix Formula. You can check those out by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash just fly and grab 15% off. If you're on the fence about the power of herbalism, I have a great offer for you, which is that you can get free. You do pay a few dollars shipping, but you can get free pine pollen. Pine pollen is an herbal powerhouse that is a hormonal and energy booster packed with nutrition. It's actually part of the Phoenix formula. And you can get that for free uh, along with the normal shipping fee at justflypinepollen.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, because I think for some people, it actually is hard, like higher. Like I think some people, mm-hmm. relative to others, there are some people who will do better using more effort, <laughs> relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely, sure. I'm, I'm definitely not one of those. <laughs> I, I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I reach my, I think I start trying too hard earlier than other people do when I, when I move personally. So I think there is definitely a spectrum there. Mm-hmm. What, you know, outside of the yeah. bounding, or can you get Rob into the nuts and bolts a little bit? So in that like crescendo bounding, or did you do like skipping or like single leg bounding? Or was there any like, tell me a little bit about more about the nuts and bolts of how you did that, like crescendo work. And then how did you progress that throughout mm-hmm. the year? So, I mean, we started pretty early and 
like I, I often uh, we can break it down percentage wise, but I'll say like, all right, we're going to start at you know like a fifty percent intensity, which is just an arbitrary number, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, do they really know what a fifty percent bound is? And then you're going to you know maybe we'll build it up to seventy percent. Uh, so uh, in our indoor facility, we have uh, a turf area, and you know it's like every ten bound or every ten yards, you're going to increase that intensity a little bit. Uh, so maybe we'll do that for you know thirty or forty yards, and they'll, they'll progressively increase the intensity, uh, and then we'll get to a point where maybe you know maybe the next week we're going 50, 60, 70, 80, and then maybe we'll go 60, 70, 80, 90. And we just, uh, like, I kind of always base it off of, I mean, it's really day to day in in terms of how they feel. Uh, But then, you know, we'll get to the point where we're doing it maximally for like the the last 10 to 20 yards. And I'm just constantly kind of just going through an ebb and flow of it. Honestly, Uh, there's, it's, it's once once again, based on how they're, how they're feeling, what we have going on that particular week. Uh, But it's a nice way to just get some high intensity work and then, uh, also be able to focus on the technical component early on. And yeah, I'd say we, we will do it with skipping. Uh, we do it with galloping. We do it with the run, run jumps. One thing that one of your, your questions of jumping ahead, but like the, the pile that I would want to keep, I think, or like the, if I had one pile, I think was one of the questions. Uh, one thing I, I personally need to do more of that I think has a ton of power is the single leg bounds are just hopping. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that is it's a little more intense than a lot of the, the beginners that I had can, can handle this year. But I think that even with the, the crescendo style, that's something that I'll probably focus in on um, more moving forward. I think uh, the crescendo style would, would uh, pair nicely with that because that's, I think really it's what, what we're doing when, when we're doing a, a long jump, triple jump, high jump. I mean, that's, that's where I think we can, we can get a lot of gains. So that's something I'll be focusing more on uh, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I could just do, if I had only two like kind of plyos on my option list, I think some sort of yeah, single leg hop to single leg bound crescendo type deal. Mm-hmm. And then like a depth jump of some sort, you know, that would be, those are my mm-hmm. two. Like, I think there's just so much, there's so much, cause even, um, yeah, like if you look at the skill of all of the actual jump, you know, there's a lot of plyos just built into that as it stands. So mm-hmm. I, I yeah. definitely uh, see a lot with that. So along with that too, do you have any thoughts on, and I'll say this as well as, um, in relation to strength, it's like the late Charles Poliquin, and I think this might have been Ian King, one of those two, uh, Ian King, Australian strength coach. I think it was like before it was the skater squad, it was the King deadlift. And <laughs> anyways, uh, within there, I had heard the idea of wave load everything, you know, like in this speaking in the weight room, like wave load everything. And, you know, it's funny because I, I hadn't seen that that wave loading mentality ever uh, talked about with with sport it was always just the weight room you know and it made sense right like you do potentiation you do french contrast you like poliquin talk about a set of six set of one set of six like you just feel that there's a lot more intention there and it's just more interesting and i never really saw that personified or really exemplified in the actual sport practice because like track it's like all right we're gonna do you know three sets of three thirties and they're all fast right like there's not like a wave there's never but i in my uh experience in swimming i i saw that and i I would see it um, when I was at UC Berkeley, I would be out the, the deck side. I watched like Dave Durden, who's the Olympic um, and swim coach. He'd be all the time. I would see this like this theme of it's like, okay, you're going to do one swim. Let's say it's 25 or 50 meters and the next one get better and the next one get better. And that was like the language. It was get better, get And I th- there's so much power in that because it's like, 
if you're an athlete, I mean, I get it. If you're only doing like three or four fly tens, like, okay, it's only three or four. There's a ton of intention on these. I'll run them as fast as I can. Right. But like, if you were going to do any more than that, it's going to get boring real fast to just be like pounding your head to the wall to PR each one. Right. You want some sort of like feeling like you improved. Like, all right, here's the baseline. Oh, I improved on that. Like little dopamine hit. Cool. Oh, I improved on that little dopamine hit. Cool. You know, like that's awesome too. And I just don't think we in track i think maybe it's because the volumes are lower well sometimes you know but we don't give ourselves opportunity for that and so anyways i was just uh curious on your thoughts on that you know in the gym weight room strength anything in there any i I mean i guess you're doing in the track right like i don't know just go hit like two sets of five in the weight room and you're cool like any thoughts on that in the gym though or anywhere you're going with that in the gym well one before i I go to the with the gym side uh one thing that we we did at least a few times uh, during the season when we were, we'd be like timing fly tens, uh, we'd have athletes like go do one with a water bag and then, okay, now uh, you're going to do the water bag, but then you're going to press it up. And then we're going to go through and do one where it's just, uh, you know, maybe a bar or something where they're, they're running through, uh, with the, the bar over their head. I mean, each time that they are PRing, right? Yeah, Cause exactly. You know, and then, and then the next one, uh, all right, now we're just going to go through and run normally. So they're maybe not PRing, but their 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 times are gradually progressing down, yes. right? So, uh, and and you're getting some some variability there, I, I, and it's just more fun, yeah. I think uh, at times doing something different, you know. Yeah. So we would we would mix that in as opposed to just hammering, you know, a, a fly ten every every week. So there was some variability mixed in with that. We also have like the exogen sleeves, so uh, for our top end guys, so they would you know maybe do a do a couple with them on. And then after a good period of, of getting used to them and then, you know, all right, now you're going to take them off and see what happens. So I think that just manipulating that. So there is that dopamine kind of hit where it's like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm getting better. I'm doing something better. I think is uh, something that kind of can keep, keep the spirits high for sure. Yeah. And then in the, in the weight room, I think that one thing that you sort of got me thinking of is like, if you have like a, a way to, to monitor velocity, you know, just, or bar speed, uh, you know, maybe putting like 135 pounds on and then just progressively going through it in the same manner. So it's just like, you're, you're going a little bit slower, focusing on maybe a little bit more of a technical component and then just getting into a rhythm where you're, you know, going through at a, at a, at a certain bar speed and kind of just progressing up to that. I think that could be you know, something that, that would be interesting, whether that's within a bench or a squad, but, you know, and that could be either trying to improve some capacity work where you're, you're maybe doing that for 30 seconds or, you know, a minute or whatever. Um, but yeah, that, it, I, that's something that I'm going to play around in, in my garage with for sure. I think that would be that, that crescendo idea where you're just gradually increasing the speed within a set would be something that would be at least fun for yeah. me. Oh, yeah. For even for like a warm up too, if I'm just gonna like do mm-hmm. three sets of five, maybe the first set is just like a crescendo set where you have a bar speed yeah. monitor and every. It's kind of fun too because I always enjoy. I, I mean, I use this like when I'm coaching like sprints or I'm just like speed training in person. Like almost all the time, I will say like, all right, we're gonna do you know X amount of sprints and it's gonna be like to get better. Like sprint one, I want you to leave yourself something on the table. Sprint two, leave yourself a little bit more. Sprint three, okay, now you can like just. I'm always trying to build up to create that like. It's like a song, like it's like a music. You don't like come out flying with the solo, like the face melter at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like you want to build up to that. Like that's the 
it's like the phi moment or something like that. It's like the mathematical like point in the song. It's like this is kind of like, this is the apex. And so I'm always thinking about like, all right, I'm kind of building up to this hopeful apex of the workout through this this submaximal building. And like you said, you're giving variations too that are a little bit slower and you're allowing for continual some level of continual PRs throughout like relative to the session, of course, not all time. But and that would be almost an interesting like, I don't know if you could really study it, but like opportunities to get better, like how many times you improved on the last mark you did in the scope of every session. I think that makes it really interesting too, almost as some sort of metric. But I found it interesting that some athletes like, like sprint one was the best. I'm like, all right, this one's like 70%. It's pretty easy. You're going to go 80 next. You're going to build on this. And we're going to hit sprint one's the fastest. I'm like, <laughs> it's yep. just, it is funny how that I just like, I like, it is funny because not all athletes are like that, but I do find some just blast it like that first one for whatever reason mm-hmm. uh, i was just I find that interesting uh but yeah, i think i think it would be cool so i'm like i'm like totally getting off track but i i do think it'd be really cool to have that warm-up set like because i wonder if that would happen too like let's say you got a hex bar deadlift and you have a bar speed monitor and it's like all right you're gonna do five reps and each one has to be a little faster than the next and even five it's mm-hmm. t- i do it a lot with medicine balls too i'll do like all right you're gonna do five mm-hmm. medicine ball throws and each one is a little harder and i just i find it funny that these athletes like but by three it's the hardest throw i'm like you can't like <laughs> gauge out your effort more than this. right i i think that's a skill though i think that's an important skill to have you know to be able to do yeah, that across a wide variety of skills right for sure it's it's like you know if i played basketball and i could only make layups or three pointers i i don't know if that there'd maybe be a role for me but it would be better if i could also hit a mid-range jumper right yeah you know and that's kind of what we're kind of asking to know that middle a little bit better. You see, uh, it wasn't like Steph Curry doing a warm-up before a game like that. Like, he started at three-point, you know, hits it, uh-huh. steps back, hits it, steps back, hits it. I like, there you go. Mm-hmm. Like, there's another, you know, one of the best doing mm-hmm. that skill. I, you, know, yeah. you were saying um, you were going to do, yeah, and I was going to say, too, like the lifting, you could do a couple sets of that graded thing before you do your mm-hmm. main sets. I just think that'd be so cool. You know, you're, it's like the Ruzon mm-hmm. study built in before you go do your main sets, whereas... And I think in a typical setting, it's like, all right, you got your warmups in. All right, set one, blast it, you know, like max yeah. intent. <laughs> Here we go. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that could work for a little while. But if we're looking at like sustainability, building athletes that move effectively, that can gauge their movement effectively over a long term, I just think it's better to have those graded uh, gradations in there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you were saying this. I, I want to bring it up now because I just think it's such a cool idea. It might be like the only jumps training system or track jumps in the nation that's doing this. But you're saying like getting adjustable basketball hoops in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm curious how you, maybe you can explain how you would envision using those, but I think it'd be cool to be like, all right, if you could adjust it, right? Like, all right, we're going to start on eight feet. All right, then we're going to go to eight, three, then eight, six. And then, of course, I'm speaking mm-hmm. English units here. I should be speaking in metrics, but I'm going to go up like four mm-hmm. centimeters every dunk and then you're going to go up that way and use that as the warm up or something like that. Or, I mean, that's a little more difficult, but anyways, tell me about the hoops and like, you know, if you get those, you have any ideas, any ideas for that? The track yeah so we have like I, I had 28 to 30 at one point in in just our jumps group so and we have ones i mean we're we're fortunate we have a an indoor uh long long triple area um and then we typically get a court uh, a couple days a week that we can uh, use for high jump but still the, the management component uh is a challenge so i've i've always had to approach uh, like our jumps training sessions as as a circuit so I think what would be fun is to have a couple portable hoops. Um, it's something that has been on my wish list for a while, and we just haven't pulled the trigger on it. But uh, we're, I, I'm definitely going to do it this coming uh, season. 
And I think, you know, it could be something simple like, all right, you're going to do a couple, uh, you know, whether it's longer high jump attempts or triple attempts, most of the time that it would be short approach for us. And then we'll have other drills mixed in, but as part of our circuit that they'll go through just for the component of not, you know, athletes being, you know, not waiting 20 minutes between uh, a long jump attempt because we have uh, high numbers. Like, okay, I'll go over to the basketball hoops and you've been working on this one dunk. All right. So, you know, go work on that one and then try something else. And I, I think that would just be a, a nice mental break, you know, kind of fun. I, the, the only challenge I think would be trying to get them to come back to do the track stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, that's hilarious. Because um, they'd be like, oh, I, I almost got it. I need to do it again. Right. So that, that, that could be one component where I might have to have like one of our managers be like, no, like you have to, <laughs> you got to, bu- you you're, you're buzzed there. in. Sorry. You got to get out of yep. here and go jump. Yep. Yeah. You, you got, you got your two attempts. Right. But I think that would be kind of a, a nice mental break between sets, something fun. And again, variability, right. It's, it's going to be something, whether it, I mean, it could be, you've been practicing this, this two foot dunk, you know, jumping off two feet, you've been practicing one foot. Here, I want you to practice on this set. I want you to do the two foot one. And then on the next one, maybe you do the one foot. So I, I, I just think that that makes in one, I think it'll uh, make more kids want to be uh, high jumpers uh, for us. Yeah, yeah. Too. I, I, like it's like, oh, they get to dunk at practice, right? So th- those are kind of, I guess, the primary. Uh, but then you had mentioned the idea of like a, a long jump dunk, like, you know, so we could have like a competition who can on an eight foot rim, who can take off the oh, furthest away. People right? would want to do that and not do long oh. jump. Like you would have a hard oh, time sure. getting them away from it. But yeah, I mean, we're going to put it eight feet. We have, uh, it'll, it'll, for us, it'd probably be on turf, but, you know, we'll start off, you know, five feet away from the rim. And then we just go back a foot and we see, you know, who the king of the, the long jump dunk contest is. Uh, that would be, I think, I mean, amazing. It would be so much fun for the kids. And I would probably have to get on it, on that too. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. And you have to get a video of it. So. Yeah, I, I feel like too with a with a big group. Like if you had a huge, like if it was like thirty kids, like how do I manage this group? Like in early season, what if it's just like, all right, you guys play five on five basketball, all right, and then you know this group's gonna t- go do some jumps and then we'll switch or something. At least early season, maybe that right. could pull that off. I don't know if you had too many kids and didn't know what to do with them all. Yeah, yeah, that, that that could definitely work, and we we could make a little. I mean, it would just be like a little mini court or something. You know, on, on that turf area that we have, I think that would be huge. And I know we've talked about that before, but yeah, if I could take, you know, all right, eight or 10 of you go over here, you're going to be there for this part. And then I'm going to work with this other group on the more technical side of things. That would be a good way to kind of distribute and, and manage that. And they would have fun. And I'm, I'm sure, like, as we talked, they would come off of that that little basketball experience. And then if we tested it on something, they would be jumping out. Of oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I, it's cool to see more and more people posting their results. Like, Oh, we warmed up with a game and, and we got this, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. And those of us who have done it, we see it like it's, it's, um, it'll be cool yeah. to see more of that. And I think it's, it's tough for some people to want to do that. Cause they f- want to feel like they have to control all the elements of the warmup. Like, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, here's the parameters. It's the game. Go play, <laughs> come back. Mm-hmm. You're like loaded and ready to go. You know, speaking of all the complexes stuff, I mean, is there any, are there any other complexes that you'd like to speak of? Like I saw you, uh, for example, like doing like fly tens and long jump takeoffs, you know, it's like dunks and long jump take. Mm-hmm. I, can you speak maybe a little bit more on like maybe the fly 10 and the long jump takeoff example of complexes and how you arrived there? Yeah. So, I mean, I think in general, like when, whenever I write up a, a practice plan, like it's, it's all a complex. So that whether it's, the, the complex of the entire unit of practice, like from start to finish, 
or just and then those segments that kind of make it up. So I really like with the, the long and the fly time, if we're going to have a, a day where we're, we're doing some max velocity sprinting, the ideal for me is having athletes kind of toggle back and forth between a, a long jump approach, let's say, and one of the fly times. So it's like, okay, you're going to do one or two approaches. Now you're going to go do a fly time. And then you're going to come, you know, you're going to constantly go back and forth because you're not going to hit top end speed on the runway. So again, I just think it gives them a little bit better of awareness of, you know, again, just where, where are you at? What percentage are you at uh, within, within these different movements? So it's like, yeah, you go blast that out over there. All right. When you come back over here, now you have to be in control, right? There's a targeting component to this. So you got to be a little bit more technical. You got to be, you got to figure out that maximum velocity that you can handle and still be accurate. Right. So there's more precision as opposed to just going crazy uh, between gates. So I think that's the ideal uh, for me. Uh, sometimes management wise, we can't do that, but that, that would be always my preference. So, you know, if we're doing, you know, three or four fly tens, uh, I would like to mix that in with, uh, you know, if our sprinters are doing three or four, maybe my jumpers would only do three fly tens, but I would also want them to do, you know, maybe a total of six of uh, long jump approaches uh, mixed in with those as well. And that's, I think, what, probably one of the most powerful things we do that that's been a super helpful uh, in terms of just, I think, developing awareness. Yeah, nice. It's, um, it makes me think a little bit about when Tony Villani was on talking about like football players and, and who are typically running routes, precision routes, when they're training for the 40-yard dash, he's like, you're trying to learn to run out of control. And it makes me think about like the fly 10. It's like, all right, out of control, long jump approach, sports skill in control, out of control, in control. And like contrasting that versus like, hey, we're only training speed today. We're only going to be quote unquote, I obviously want to be in control for your fly. But like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like we're doing something that's mm -hmm. a little more out of control. And actually, um, it makes me even think too about like Bobby White talking about, hey, you're having trouble with this shot. Well, let's speed it up. Let's make it a little more out of control. And then let's come back and we'll make it mm -hmm. in control and playing with velocity. And it's like all these mm -hmm. things are tools that we can like play with and explore with and you and bring it back and see if that helped. And it just makes, yeah, again, it just makes training interesting. That's one of my things too I'm on is like, how do I make training maximally interesting? And not in a way that I think people hear that and they think, oh, you just want to do like anything and just make it like novel for the sake of novelty. And you don't have like a, and I think the key is that you have, it's interesting, but it's also directed like, hey, this is my adaptation pattern. This is where we're, this is where I want to see adaptation happening versus I think it gets interesting or novel for the sake of novelty when you don't have an adaptation pattern, when you don't have KPIs and things like that. But interesting mm -hmm. has been one of my big, I just, I'm thinking about that word more and more in the terms of training and intention these days. Yeah. Uh, you bring up the idea of uh, speeding things up. Uh, I had an athlete last season who in really didn't matter what he was doing. His right foot would externally rotate like, like, I mean, almost where it was like perpendicular to the line of travel. Right. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, and it, it's like, I don't, I don't even know how, you, how you're doing that. So like, I, you're going to get some degree of external rotation. Like that, that's not, but I mean, this was excessive. So either with, with bungees or, uh, Chris Corpus has the 1080, we would just put some light assistance on there and you watch that just clean up like, hmm. because there just wasn't enough time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so it's like using that as a tool where it's like, okay, <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't have an, enough time to even get there. So that was super interesting uh, just to, to see that 
play out. And I, I, I wish I had good video of it. I, I, I know I, there is some, I think I wrote an article that has some video, but I wish it was better. And I, I had the, a video of him just doing like a normal versus the, the assisted, like, and how much better it looks. And, you know, it's, it's pretty like, you know, we always think about, you know, slowing things down and we've talked about that, but yeah, speeding things up is can definitely be a, a great teaching tool. Yeah. I think it's, it's so cool. Anytime that, uh, we don't necessarily have to like, all right, oh man, your foot turns out like this. We have to regress all the way back, you know, and, and mm-hmm. clean things up on this little minute biomechanical level versus, well, what if we could just increase the velocity and you could self-organize a solution? And I think Boosh Exeter talked about that a little bit on, when he was on last time about like, you know, not getting so caught up in the minutia that you derail everything. What if you could just offer a simple solution and the athlete can self-organize a fix around it? Like that's, I mean, and again, I, I definitely like to be able to add, have a level of symmetry in the body. Absolutely. And, and preventing injuries and things like that and know how I can regress if I need to. But it's just really interesting to think, oh yeah, if there's just, if you only have this amount of ground contact time and your body is now forced to create a solution that fits more. And I will say, even back to the crescendo stuff, I feel like the, I feel like the zone where the most can go wrong is like, is, it is almost, I don't like to call this in the sense of, I would call it that, that neural magnitude zone. There's a little bit longer ground contacts. There's more compensating and will you can do to get your outcome. Like, let's just say it's like 20 yards bounding as far as you can go. Like you can, you could spend longer on the ground as a strategy to go further and compensate more, but it could be a way that actually isn't really the best for you as an athlete long-term. I mean, maybe in the day it's like, oh, I said a PR, cool. Okay, well, let's go back to your home base stuff for a while. But I like that idea. And I've definitely become more and more fond of like, yeah, higher velocity, quicker contact times. You can't compensate as much and it helps the body to tune and and self-organize. It's almost like on the whole other spectrum of like, you have isometric on one end as one, like, I think it was maybe Dan John who just said like the best way to learn movement is no movement. And you have that as a good place to get rid of compensations and iron things out. And then on the other end, you have like extreme velocity. Let's see what happens. And you have that option. Maybe I could go either way to see like, okay, mm-hmm. if higher, if speeding it up doesn't fix, all right, now we're going to make you sit there in an isometric, you know, and figure it out. Right. Uh, it's kind of funny. To right. I, I, I've been told multiple times that if I wanted to improve my golf game, I should take a swing over the course of five minutes <laughs> and, you know, go back swing, you know, two and a half minutes and then, uh, come back down for, for two and a half minutes. And I've messed with it a little bit, but, but it's, it's pretty difficult and it's hard to, to have that intent, uh, all the way through it. I would um, start thinking about other things. Maybe this so, summer. Yeah. 45 <laughs> seconds into, I probably start thinking about something else, but yeah, <laughs> then, then sure. try that versus like, an overspeed swing if you could somehow right. do that i don't know like a lighter club or like a like yeah. a stick swing a little stick as fast as you can that doesn't weigh anything. yeah <laughs> that's funny cool all right let's uh so i want to chat about uh minimal effective dose a little bit because i thought i thought this was interesting it was you know i asked you about how last season was and one of the things you've been writing about that i thought was interesting is you've actually moved away a little bit from the idea of like i guess pure minimal effective dose so mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about what that looks like from how your training volumes have progressed, undertraining, overtraining, everything that goes with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, uh, I tried to get people to understand this is unique to me. So I do think that there's a ton of coaches out there that need to hear the message of minimal effective dose. I agree. Um, that's probably, you know, you know, that's 100% true, you know, and for me, it was the journey of, 
you know, I, I started off where we, we did quite a bit of volume 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, just over the course of time noticed that our, like there were some athletes that responded really well to it, but I was losing a ton of athletes to shin splints and you know, those, those kind of wear and tear type injuries. So we gradually just kept bringing our volume down, um, and got, it became more minimal and, uh, focused more on higher intensity activity. So that was a, a natural progression for me. Uh, just based off of the athletes that we saw. And then uh, I think through, you know, multiple resources, it seemed like uh, other coaches were seeing the same thing. So it was kind of nice to to think, you know, no, okay, like this is not just me. And then uh, when I switched over from coaching girls to guys, uh, so this I think was my seventh season with the guys, I was going to focus strictly on jumps. So I had, when I was with the girls, I would, I would, as a head coach and I would also work with high jumpers, but I had never uh, directly like coached the jumps. I was, for instance, hurdles and high jump when I was with the girls. So I was going to focus on long triple and and high with the guys. So for me, with my past experience as a, a high jumper, and then uh, what I had noticed with our our girl sprinters, I kind of bought into this idea like we're gonna like we're gonna prioritize being fresh like above all all, all else because as a high, high jumper, and I don't know if you could answer this like if i ever felt if i didn't feel bouncy i did not jump high <laughs> like I, I feel like i could go out and, and run a pretty good 400 if i didn't feel great felt like i could triple jump pretty well if i didn't feel great but high jump for whatever reason just like if i didn't feel if i wasn't feeling it like it, it just didn't go well for me so i don't know if it, you know then that's my own personal bias but i was just like we're going to prioritize making sure that we're, we're feeling incredibly bouncy so I'd say like the early on when I was coaching jumpers, I probably was too far on the end of like where there was, there were technical changes that need to be done, but I would overlook those in terms of just the athlete being fresh. So it was probably more on like the approach side of things uh, for the horizontals where I, I think I was shortchanging them. Uh, you know, now uh, I have no problem having an athlete do up to like 10 horizontal approaches in a session. And they can come back the next day and they're fine. Uh, versus early on where, you know, we might only, like I might cap it at like four, you know, and say that like we're done. Uh, so again, I'm, I'm picking my spots there. Uh, 10 would be kind of on the high end for sure. But I think in terms of just the overall like idea of staying, being fresh and, and everything, I, I was probably a little bit too conservative uh, with that. So a lot of the things I haven't changed much. It's just mostly, uh, I'd say, like we do more approach work because now I view it more as an acceleration activity as opposed to a max velocity activity. And I think early on, I, I felt like I equated a horizontal approach with a fly time. And that's just, it's just not the case. Yeah. So what do you think about tempo? <laughs> that's a <awkward laughs> transition. What do you think about tempo? I, I mean, I guess when I think about doing more, I, for me, I guess and maybe it's just be, being older. Maybe I sometimes I input too much of what's going on with my own training at the moment. You know, like like for me right now, I can't handle as much neural work, but I can handle a lot of work outside of that from the lower th lower intensity threshold. But sometimes when I think about doing more, I'm like, ah, well, what about tempo? Like, do you have a tempo day or two tempo days? Or what do you think about tempo when the training of your jumpers? What's your or even sprinters? If you had to expand it to that, what's your current thoughts on that with work capacity, doing yeah. more, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of tempo work 
uh, with our uh, girls uh, back in the day and they were really successful, um, you know, uh, kind of got away with it a little bit more or got away from it a, a little bit more um, as time progressed. Um, I feel like if I had a, a good fall uh, training block, it would be something that I would do quite a bit of. Um, and I think really what, what it comes down to is, as I just view like training is like there's maximal, there's submaximal. So obviously tempo falls in that submaximal category. Whenever I view, whenever we're doing, uh, running through wickets or we're doing buildups or like all of our jumpers will do serpentine runs, um, curve runs, that kind of thing. Like that, that to me is just, it's all submaximal. It, it could fall in that tempo category. So we don't, I, I wouldn't say there's, there's not a, a, maybe for a handful of athletes, I'll have a, a workout where they might run, you know, four to five, two hundreds uh, during, during the course of the year, um, you know, a few times, but, but there's not like a, a dedicated uh, block to it per se. And I think uh, I, I get a lot of the, the benefits from tempo from working through like the jump type circuits. So it's like, yeah. take a couple short approach jumps. All right, now you're going to go and, and do a couple wicket runs and then you're going to do a jump rope run and then uh, you'll do some hurdle mobility and then, you know, it's just, and that's continual. And then you're going to do it. And, and, yeah. And it's just one, one to the next. And we're working through that circuit for hmm. a good 40 or 45 minutes. And then, you know, you'll, you'll do an ISO hold and, uh, you know, so their I mean, their, their heart rate is, is elevated the entire time. Uh, I think that that's kind of how I handle tempo. Uh, that's worked pretty well. And it, it, the other part is like, we're not getting the, uh, I don't really have many wear and tear type issues with the jumpers. And I think it's cause there's some variable activity as opposed to just running around a, you know, 200 meter indoor facility or something like that. Um, so that's, that's how I. I don't, I'm not opposed to tempo. Uh, I just like anything else. I I'm opposed to the abuse of tempo. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Same. same. Like uh, that would be a good question is how many two hundreds before it's like abuse of tempo, you know, like eight, mm-hmm. 10, <laughs> like what, what are we, at what point are we just getting carried away with this for the point of running more of them? I remember seeing one uh, workout group um, about 12 years ago where they were up to, it was like they were up to 16, two, it was a spring, it was a quarter mile group. They're up to 16, two hundreds. And I just remember like, I don't, they, if you look at like, think about training should be interesting. There was not the look of being interested on their faces while they were doing that versus when I was at Wisconsin lacrosse that has a big tempo. And this was shoot almost 20 years ago at this point, like they had a big tempo background when Mark Guthrie was there and at least in the fall and mm-hmm. like they would, you know, maybe they just ran eight or 10 at 10 at the most. Uh, but like, there was always mm-hmm. an intent. There was, they were always like in this line indoors and there was like this, like it was like a machine, but it was like, it, but they, the championship banners are all around and there was just a lot of intention to it. Mm-hmm. So anyways, maybe it's, yeah. maybe as soon as intention is lost is your good gauge there. As soon as people are just like, kind of, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to kind of think about that across different groups and athletes and things. Yeah. Like and, that. and I would like to, if I was going to do that, I would give athletes a specific item to focus on each rep or, yeah. or kind of change it, change something up each rep where it's like, okay, you can't use your left arm. Yeah, exactly. I know I've heard you say that, right. Yeah. You know, like, like give them something to, to think about or not even think about, but just, just where it feels different. Um, you know, I, I think I would run out of things uh, to do with 16 of them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. That that would be a good coaching exercise, too. Like, I always think about, all right, if I'm teaching a curriculum and I'm in a university undergrad, I'm trying to think of, like, thought exercises for young coaches. Like, all right, you only get, like, these three exercises. What do you do? Or, like, 
you know, like Dan John's, right? You get an ISO, you get your exercise, you get the magic drill, you know, and like think about those different three things are, are very like minimalist, but it also, all right, you have to run 16200s. <laughs> How do you keep that interesting for athletes? And they're not like, you know, milers. They're, they're, you know, quarter <laughs> athletes or 200 athletes or something like that. I mean, you could just do them over, like, honestly, just doing over hurdles and messing with the hurdle heights every time and distances would make it pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I would actually be, I mean, it would still be a, a pretty tough workout, uh, but it would, at least the variability mm-hmm. would hopefully be as such that you would lose some of the, like the soreness and injury element. Even I actually would be willing to bet that you might, you know, just doing that. Well, I don't know. The hurdles does give it that component, but no, it definitely would make it more yeah. way, way, way more interesting. Yeah, even if it's a 12-inch hurdle, and that's also a, a great drill that we incorporate in our circuits is here's some random hurdles, right? Just It's just steering yeah, uh, for yeah. jumps. So we'll, we'll incorporate that. Like, okay, you're going to do a wicked run, then on the way back, you're going to go through these random hurdles. Uh, you know, and you just got to you got to keep – the rep has to stay smooth. Yeah, I like you know, that. You can't, no stuttering. Yeah, yeah it's, that's, a, that's a great one. It reminds me a little bit of – I mean, um, Stefan Holm didn't – the high jumper, the Swedish high jumper is like 5'11", jump 7'10". He, I saw him doing a lot of drills where he, they didn't have the hurdles out, I don't think, but they would do this. It was like you run in like four steps out, you do a skip, like a double skip off your left leg. So your left leg contacts, contacts twice, and then you go like left, right, left, boom, into the takeoff or something like that. And but that's mm-hmm. kind of what happens. Like when we play basketball, you go into a program to go do the lay, like you will never see i just think it's funny like could you imagine basketball where someone's like running down the court full speed and then just like doesn't do the layup and just runs past the hoop because they couldn't get their steps right you know like you would never see that but yet in track you see that kind of thing pretty much all the time and i'm like i just Mm -hmm. i always i mean yes it is higher velocity without question but we can adapt to pretty much anything so it's like maybe it's like we they do that because we never put people in situations where they have to actually use their steering mechanisms and have to figure it out uh, of course, right. you know, there's different reasons, but yeah, I, I like that a lot. That idea of um, mm-hmm. yeah, using the hurdles and forcing a little bit of steering there. Mm-hmm. Uh, la- all right, last thing here before we get out of here for the day. Uh, so you've talked about Rob um, uh, in this article I was reading that you posted as well. Uh, asymmetrical plyometrics. Um, so I believe like like offset skips, or you'd mentioned gallops and um, you know crescendo gallops. Tell me a little bit more about um, ply- plyometrics that are asymmetrical. Because, of course, jumping is asymmetrical. Throwing is asymmetrical. So many things we do. So tell me a little bit about how you've been using those. Yeah. Uh, so I think I saw this uh, probably a couple years ago now from, uh, I think, Nick Newman had uh, some of his athletes doing it. And it it really clicked with me because one one thing that I've always struggled or as either teaching or getting athletes to do well um, is a skip for distance. Um, you know, they can do skip for height really well, but then you ask them to do skip for distance and you're just changing the vector a little bit and, and it, it, uh, it looks like 17 different things uh, with the athletes. So uh, I, I really like the asymmetrical component because it, it just allowed them to focus on, on one side. And so it's like, uh, you know, big push off your left. And then like an easy push off your right uh, with a skip. So uh, the primary ones I use that for are uh, with skipping and bounding. Um, and I have found that it works really well. We talk about like hip displacement a lot with jump takeoff. So a lot of times we'll have jumpers that, you know, maybe do long and high or triple and high or, you know, long and triple. So there's, there's a, a different degree of hip displacement based off the takeoff angle uh, that occur within those. 
So it, it's another way for them to kind of feel that. So maybe if we're doing a skip, uh, an asymmetric skip, uh, I'll have them go down and you're going to do an asymmetric skip uh, where the, the big pushes will be off your left for distance. And then on the way back, they'll do the right the same way. And then they'll do one where it's an asymmetric skip for height off their left and then right on the way back. And then there'll be like the, the happy medium or the hybrid of the two. Um, just so they're, they're getting a little bit different, uh, feel there. So that, that works well, I think for the athlete who may have to toggle back and forth between long and high jump. Um, so they're just getting practice and changing that, uh, you know, that the angle that the force is going into the ground. So that, that's been uh, something that I think has been really helpful for us and it's, it's a good bridge. Uh, so it's like, okay, now you're going to do the asymmetric skip distance with your left and then your right okay now you're going to do just the traditional skip for distance and it has cleaned things up quite a bit for for our athletes so it's like they can lock into that one side and then they're able to transition it back to being able to do it with both um, a little bit more effectively uh and, and it's the same thing with like like bounding some athletes just really aren't ready to, to bound uh for, for like a, a max power bound uh, but they can kind of handle it uh, going uh, off of just with that, that one foot yeah. emphasis. So it works pretty well. Yeah, that's, in, you know, I, <clears throat> that's interesting you mentioned that. I was just thinking like, yeah, athletes who can't bound, a lot of times the first constraint will be, and I think this works, might work better for like a wide ISA or more of a muscular fuel athlete is doing like adding a lateral component to the bound. Like it gets mm -hmm. them into their midfoot more because they're in toe off and they yeah. need to get back. And so you can go lateral. But, you know, as you mentioned that, like, because I've always felt when I do like, like bounding like that like i've talked about variable bounding if i put cones out and it's like the cones at nine feet and then six feet and then nine feet and six feet or ten and six or ten and six that bound feels really easy and natural actually and then mm -hmm. it seems like it would be if you wanted to get someone into normal like you said power bounding like just make the displacement a little bit different over time right like the and just spread mm -hmm. it out a little bit each week i think that'd be a really cool way to teach people bounding as well and and i also like too it just fits with where the, the asymmetrical bounding just fits with like a two foot jump takeoff like your second to last foot to you know lead, or your first foot on the ground is going to be on the ground a little longer and then your final foot that comes down is pretty quick you know it's it's long super quick and then you know jump takeoffs as well it's like even single leg jump takeoffs you might have a short last step you might have a long last step there's always going to be this little subtle asymmetry leading in that mirrors whatever that last step was and I think we don't think about that. We just think about like, all right, same, 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 you know, hit this angle, right. whatever. Like there's no, um, we don't pay respect mm -hmm. to the rhythms leading up to those final takeoff steps. And especially too, I remember like it, it, back in my twenties and then even like my, my like high school junior and senior year, I remember what a good takeoff just felt like, like if I'm going to go and try to put mm -hmm. my elbow on the rim or try to get my head close to the rim, you just you naturally just know the rhythm of what that good jump felt like. And it's like, it's very unique and it's not like just, just this straight like lead up. And it's not even like, it's not necessarily this linear gradual. There is a symmetry to it. And anyways, I just think that yeah, the more we do that and can tune athletes in, let them self-organize and get used to that. It's just good all around. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. All right. Oh, well, hey, Rob, I think we got through all our questions here. A square hour, like this is a yeah, perfect timing, I guess. Mm -hmm. We were just aiming for a square hour, at least on my clock. Maybe we have a few minutes on the back or the front end that we didn't quite get started. But hey, man, it's great catching up. I love hearing your ideas. It inspires me as a coach. And it was really cool to see what you're up to. So thanks for uh, coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure.
Thanks for tuning in to another show. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a rating or review on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you're listening to. I'd really appreciate it. We'll see you all next week.